So we're in Proverbs chapter 6, starting in verse 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit, and scarcity like an armed man. Okay, the second reading is from Matthew, chapter 11. It's on page 689 of the Pew Bible. So 689 up at the top right-hand side from 11 verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. At that time Jesus went through the grain fields of the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read that David did when, what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you that the one is greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Uh, Let me add my welcome. I hope you had a uh, lovely Mother's Day. Uh, If you celebrated with others, uh, it's a great time and uh, much to be thankful for. We're reflecting, though, not on mothers. Uh, We're picking up again on that theme of work. Uh, We started two weeks ago looking at work. Uh, tonight we're spending some time considering the flip side of work, rest, rest, play, leisure, all those kind of good and fun things. Uh, we want the Lord to speak to us on this. Um, I'll warn you, I'm not going to stick in one particular passage. Uh, having a pen and uh, the blank side of the newsletter will be handy as we go through this so that you have the opportunity to jot things down. Uh, I'm going to mention some verses. They would have been up on the screen, but the screen's not working, so you're going to have to listen extra hard. Uh, that you might look them up later on and check and see if what I'm saying is reasonable and what the Lord is saying. How about I pray that God might speak to us tonight? Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we thank you uh, that you are present amongst us by your word and spirit. Uh, We thank you uh, that we can meet with you in such freedom uh, and we ask that tonight you would take away the distractions from our hearts and minds that we might listen carefully to you 
Take your word and by your spirit apply it deeply within us. Uh, Father, where we need comfort, uh, give us the comfort of your word. Uh, Where we need to be challenged, uh, convict us by your spirit. We ask this that we might be all the more like your son, the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, last mid-last century, uh, the term the leisure problem was coined. The leisure problem. Uh, the problem is probably not what you imagine, though. Uh, it was thought at that time that with all our technological advances, that we were heading for shorter and shorter working weeks, and, and, and the problem they feared was that we'd have just so much leisure time, we wouldn't know what to do with it. It is tragic problem of technology. Uh, Now, that was their fear mid-last century. I suspect that's not the leisure problem you experience. We love leisure. Uh, We have an abundance of what they call labour-saving devices. Uh, But where's the time to rest and play? For many people, uh, enjoyment, uh, rest, proves this unfulfilled dream. And maybe that's you. Part of the problem is how we as a culture uh, rest. Uh, you know, we've become dependent on having uh, lots of goods and services that we can you know, play properly. Uh, so a, a man buys a boat that he might spend more time with his family out on the water. Uh, but you take into account the, the cost of the petrol, uh, the cleaning and maintenance of boats, the time travelling to and from the water, not to mention if the boat's actually stored somewhere else, uh, and all the extra hours you put in at work to pay for the boat, and it would seem that the man actually has less time with his family. The irony of all this technology in our lives to to free us up is that we have to work harder and harder to acquire it and get those possessions so that we can relax and no time gets saved. Play for some people has even become another form of work. Um, Competitiveness just spills over and people have to play harder. Uh, Rest is unfulfilling because as a culture, uh, we don't always know how to rest. And add to that, um, if you're a Christian here tonight, let me add to that some uniquely Christian problems with how we go about rest. Uh, So two weeks ago, we looked at uh, how God says work is good. And since it's good, uh, when would it be right to stop a good thing? You know, there's no such thing as too much of a good thing, is there? You know, who wants to be the sluggard who needs to go and see the ant from Proverbs, as we read before? and, And a lot of Christian ideas of what Sabbath rest might be don't seem particularly worth stopping for. Uh, A Northern Irish Presbyterian I used to know uh, felt it wasn't right to put the oven on on Sunday uh, because that constituted work. And if you know, well, quite frankly, winter or summer in Ireland, it's always cold, you always want the oven on. Uh, Quite frankly, if if that's rest, you know, I'm taking work. And let me throw another Christian problem on top of that. Uh, We'll speak more of this one next week, but, but we live in the age of urgency. That is, the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 6, now is the day of God's salvation. That is, we don't know when Jesus is coming back and we want those around us to be found ready for his return. And so, well, where, where's the place of resting in, with that kind of pressure? In the middle of all this noise, uh, there is one thing that the Lord and Saviour wants you to hear clearly tonight. To rest is godly, and you are to be godly in your play. To rest is godly, and you are to be godly in your play. And for some of us tonight, that will be a massive relief. Uh, and for others, this is going to be a call for you to repent. 
The rest is godly and you are to be godly in your play. Uh, I suggested the other week, if you were here two weeks ago, uh, a definition, an entirely non-catchy definition of work, uh, but no one has suggested to me anything catchier, so I'm stuck with it. I said to you that work is sharing God's good gifts to build communities of love. That it's sharing God's good gifts to build communities of love. Uh, Building on that, how do we understand rest? Rest is delighting in God's gifts within communities of love. Rest is delighting in God's gifts within communities of love. So we're tempted to think of rest as sleep. We're tempted to think rest is dull, it's inactive. We're tempted to think rest is lonely. And if you think any of those things, then it probably won't be something you look forward to. But God's rest, as we'll see throughout Scripture, is always about enjoying his blessings, enjoying his good things in fellowship. So let me run you through rest in the Bible so we get a bit of a feel for that. First, way back in creation, rest in creation. From the very start, rest is the pinnacle of creation, the high point. Because rest is when God himself enjoys the fruit of his labours. So God is a worker, but he's not a workaholic. So in the account of creation, Genesis 1, there's a little poem that's going on in Genesis 1. And God said, and it was so... God saw it was good, there was evening, there was morning. And God said, and it was so. And it goes on for six days, six days of this pattern. But the peak of creation comes when that pattern gets broken. Uh, Genesis 2 verse 2, let me read it. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he was doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day. And he made it holy, because on it he rested from all that work of creating he had done. That is, that seventh day is set apart as special and blessed. Uh, Blessed is just a fancy way of saying having the best. It is given the best. So in Genesis 1, humanity was was blessed, the best of his creative works, but that's not the peak. The pinnacle is when he downs tools and enjoys his creation. And so that whole seventh day gets blessed. The tragedy as you run through the Bible is you see that uh, humanity rebels against that. They don't want to enjoy it his way. They don't want to enjoy it with him. Uh, And so through the Bible, we move on to to God re-establishing rest in the nation Israel. Uh, So after they destroyed rest, God says, I'll establish this nation. I want to share my rest, my enjoyment of good things uh, through them with all. Uh, In Genesis 12, uh, God speaks to Abraham and he says, Abraham, from you will come a great nation and they will be blessed, uh, and through them the whole world. And God delivered. Uh, from Abram came the people of Israel. And the pinnacle of their blessing was rest. So in Deuteronomy 28, you can read it later, uh, Deuteronomy 28, we've got the, the people of Israel, they've been freed from slavery, they've wandered for 40 years in the desert, they are camped on the edge about to go into this promised land, this land of rest it's called. And it's called that because if they obey God, if they live in relationship with him, they're going to enjoy the very best of his creation. It's a land of delight. It is a fruitful land. It's described as a land flowing with milk and honey, which is kind of just this beautiful hands-on picture. You can kind of taste the goodness, can't you? This place flowing with milk and honey is meant to be good. It is meant to be secure from their enemies so they can stop and relax and enjoy it, provided they keep staying in relationship with him. Deuteronomy 28 warns, If they disobey, they'll be cursed. Rather than enjoying it, it will become hard toil. Rather than peace, they'll actually be fleeing from their foreign enemies who will chase and attack them. That that relational aspect is key to understanding rest. It is not rest without a loving community centred around God. 
That's a big moment of revelation uh, of, of the, the people of Israel. So um, before the temple was built, uh, God dwelt with his people in a big tent. Uh, the fancy name for it, we call it the tabernacle. That's just a Latin word for tent and it just sounds a lot better. Uh, so we just say God dwelt in the tabernacle rather than saying God lived in tent. Um, in Exodus 26, God gives six chapters of instructions about how to build this tent. And the next subject he discusses is Sabbath rest in chapter 31. And then you've got this moment where Israel rebels with a golden calf. Uh, they're punished, they're restored. And then we get to Exodus 35. And just before the tabernacle actually gets built, and you have chapters of that being detailed, the subject is again Sabbath rest. And then hundreds, hundreds of years later, um, God talks to King David about making it a bit, bit more permanent than the tent. Uh, the issue of a temple, a, a magnificent stone house is raised and a conversation arises after a statement in 2 Samuel 7, after the king was settled in his palace, the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. The point of these things, that is, rest and dwelling with God are always tied together. You know, living with God, relating well to him, is joining him in rest. Rest is profoundly relational. It's with God and his people. And God commands his people, you must observe this Sabbath day that they know how to live rightly with him. And it wasn't a light law. To, to break the Sabbath was a capital offence. Uh, I'm reading the book of Numbers at the moment in my, my personal Bible reading. Uh, again, I was confronted just this week uh, by the seriousness of, taking, uh, of rest. Uh, in Numbers 15, a Sabbath breaker is stoned to death by the community. And I read it and it's kind of, Really? Why is it so serious? Well, rest teaches people how to relate properly, properly to God. You know, the Sabbath was a day set apart to worship the Lord. It was an opportunity to, to down your tools and turn your attention to God and his people. It was a chance to stop working and actually enjoy the things that he's giving you rather than continually toiling and toiling and toiling. It, it, it modeled for them. Uh, the right way to relate to God. That is, the Sabbath taught them to depend on God rather than themselves. You know, if, if you choose to, to not work on, on God's Sabbath day, that's a sign that God, God will honour those who honour him. See, we live in a society that never sleeps. Um, we don't even have to go to New York for that. Uh, thanks, Hayley. Uh, if you need to pick up milk uh, at a strange hour, you can. You just pop to a petrol station. Uh, if you need to do some banking at you know, 2 in the morning, that's fine. The internet will do it for you. Yeah, mobile phones mean that all of us kind of walk around permanently on call and you, know, you can't miss a call because you know, something might be really, really important coming through, really. You know, our society teaches us that we don't have to depend on anyone and we can always go and we can always do whatever we want whenever we want. Sabbath rest was designed that people would relate properly to God, that they would stop and worship him and depend on him. Not that it's miserable, it's actually a delight. As, as you keep moving on uh, and see rest in redemption, you see that's, that's God's great goal in redemption because it's such a joyous thing. Um, I used to be a member of a church and we, we had uh, the Ten Commandments in stone on, in the kind of sanctuary area in the back of church uh, and they were written up there. Um, they were slightly abbreviated, uh, which is a good idea because the two places in the Bible where the Ten Commandments are written down, they're actually different. 
So in Exodus 20, this is the fourth command. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them. But he rested on the Sabbath day. And therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. But we read again in Deuteronomy 5, the other account of the Ten Commandments. We're told this. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. And therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. You get the same command for two reasons. But really they're the same reason. God's goal in creation was rest, to bring people in to relate to him and enjoy all he's given. And that's the same goal in redemption. He wants to bring people in, sinful people that had ruined rest, but bring them in nonetheless, that they might go and enjoy all his good things relating to him and his people. That's what the Christian life is all about. You know, Jesus even talks about serving him as rest because you're enjoying the good things of living his way with him. Uh, words we read earlier from Matthew 11, Jesus said to you, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. How? Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Do you notice it was a strange offer of rest? The rest he's offering you is a yoke. Now, um, I'm a city boy. I've lived maybe six, seven months in the country. That doesn't justify me saying much about agriculture. But the little I know is that yokes are used for work. You put it on an ox, not so it can have a kind of enjoyable time, but they can go and toil. The strange thing Jesus is saying is living my way, working for me, is where you'll find rest because that's where, where joy comes from, his light work. You know, he's setting himself up against the, the religious leaders of the day who uh, put heavy burdens on people. Jesus, in his own words, said, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. You must obey them. You must do everything they tell you to. But don't do what they do, for they don't practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. That is, living the, the Pharisees' ways, human ways, uh, rather than being a delight, was just a burden. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 come and follow me and I will give you real joy. And so at the start of chapter 12 in Matthew, uh, Jesus offends the Pharisees because he heals a man on that day of rest. He's pointing out the Sabbath was blessed. That is, it was about enjoying and doing good and having life. It's not about a, a harsh law to make your life harder. Now rest by bringing good and restoring joy because in serving Jesus, there is perfect freedom. Yeah, and, that, and that rest, ultimately, uh, you and I, if we're in the Lord Jesus, we will see it ultimately perfected when we get to heaven. That, that enjoyment of, of goodness in a loving community with God is realised there when God brings it in. And so, so the writer of the Hebrews speaks about uh, the seventh day still going. In Hebrews 4, he says the seventh day is still going. There is no eighth day. The seventh day is still going. You know, that chance to enter God's heavenly perfection is still there. You know, and all of what was happening in Israel's history up to that point was just a, a shadow of what Jesus is offering, that hope of eternal life, the hope of eternal enjoyment in something better than a land flowing with milk and honey. You know, let, me, let me say it again. Heaven is not um, ethereal harp playing. Uh, heaven is not kind of floating around in white frocks on clouds. Heavenly rest is this positive activity of enjoying God's generosity. 
It's about enjoying the relationships he gives with God and others. Yet rest is what God is on about. It's what he's blessed because he wants us to have the very best. Yeah, that is a, a fantastic offer. And let me say, just if you've never taken that offer up, you need to. Now, Hebrews 3 and 4, the warning is there. Don't be like the, the Hebrews, the, the Israelites who lost the promised land. They lost it. Why? Because they refused to believe and obey God. And so just as the offer to enter Jesus' great rest stands for us today, the risk is still there. You might lose it. Hebrews 4.11, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. That is, you will squander the offer of that rest, of enjoying God's goodness, if with a stubborn heart you live with something, with Christ as something less than your Lord. Instead, you take it up by a life of faithful obedience to Jesus. And we express it by taking up that offer of doing one day off a week. So we're designed by God to rest. You know, it's built into the, the fabric of creation, this idea of resting every seventh day. Uh, the Soviets under uh, Joseph Stalin, uh, they attempted a 10-day week. Uh, so they, they wanted to improve their efficiency, uh, you know, conquer the West, all that sort of stuff. And so they reinvented the calendar. Uh, they, they worked eight days and then had a weekend. It didn't last. You know, machines can be reprogrammed to, to run on a time schedule, but, but people, people somehow couldn't be rewired that way. Now, it's certainly true, I know, We've all done it. We've pushed through and had that extra busy week. And I know you can do it for kind of periods. You know, you can push through for a, you know, a, a busy month when you've got that project due. Uh, if you're a student, you know, you can do it for, I don't know, what, three months and then you have the rest of the year off. Like, you know, it's been a while since I've been a student, but it's something like that. Yeah, eventually, though, we need to rest. Yeah, and the pattern of our rest is meant to fit God's design and his goals. We need to rest to survive, but I want to say more than that. Your willingness to rest is a sign of your belief in God. A day off reminds us that work is not God's goal. It teaches you dependence. Now, I feel that temptation often to skip a day. There's kind of no end to the things I could get done or should get done. And there are weeks I think I just can't afford to have a day off. And what's underlying my thinking at that moment, it's this... It's this thought that God needs me somehow seven days a week if he's going to achieve everything because, you know, I'm pretty important. Or alternatively, or worse, is that, you know, my purposes are actually more important than his. He wants me to rest, but I don't want to do that. Taking a day off shows I trust God. And taking a day off reminds us the goal that we're actually working to. We're working to heavenly rest with him. You know, one day off a week is just a teensy-weensy little sample of the rest that we long for. You know, it's affirming God's greater goal. I spoke with a, a Christian man, a man last year, who, who didn't, wouldn't have a day off. Uh, he felt his company wouldn't keep going if he took a day off. And I challenged him as a Christian about what that said, what that approach said he thought life was all about. Now, of course, there are some of us who aren't just kind of working seven days a week. There are some of us uh, who only do five paid work days. Uh, and if that's you, I want to encourage you, what a, what a terrific position you're in. That's fantastic. Uh, that is, you can work 
for five days and be paid. And, and that paid work limits the way in which you can share God's gift to build loving communities. That's my definition of work slipped in again. Okay? It limits it. That is, you have to do the kind of work, the kind of loving, the kind of sharing of God's gifts that your employer or your business dictates. So that's kind of limited love. Uh, but then you've got this one other day where you can devote it to working freely, just out of grace. No one's paying you. You just want to help others and build communities love. You've got this whole other day to do that. And then you can still have another day to enjoy God's generosity in fellowship with him, with his people. How fantastic is that? What a great place to be. Because that's what rest is. Rest is delighting in God's goodness within those communities. But what's actually a day look like? What's what's a day of rest? I realise this is contentious. I realise God and his kindness has made us different. There are people out there who think gardening's enjoyable uh, and they think that's restful personally. You know, praise God for units and that I never have to mow. Uh, by comparison, I would argue, you know, too much sport is never enough, uh, and there are other people who, who you know, don't go with that. They think that kind of the varieties of sport are just variations on the theme of punishment. I realise we're different. So what's a day of rest? You know, how can you be godly when you play? Let me suggest two principles you've got to include and two things you've got to avoid to make sure you do godly play. First, it should include a demonstration that God's creation is enjoyable. Now, Christians sometimes have just been afraid to simply enjoy what God gives us. Uh, instead, we're always kind of concerned to go, oh, there's got to be an eternal spiritual value to this. You know, the, the, the book in the Bible, Song of Songs, I think is a great example. Uh, Song of Songs, if you haven't stumbled across it before, is this, this powerful poetic book about romantic and sexual love between a man and a woman. And it's made lots of Christians uncomfortable. They kind of go, how can the Bible be quite as frank as that about human relationships? And, you know, how does it point to Jesus, the fulfilment of Scripture? Sure. And so they've turned it into this kind of allegory about Christ and his church because we're uncomfortable to think that, that God just made things in our world beautiful and should be enjoyable. You know, God loves beauty. You know, when he made the world, he didn't just make it functional, he made it enjoyable. You know, the, the, all the biblical language of the heavenly city that we are heading towards, its splendor, its magnificence, its richness, it's, it's just a delight, not just functional. You know, God, yeah, he made us to need food to survive, but, but he made it food just fun. You know, Psalm 104, uh, he makes wine that gladdens the heart of man. He makes oil to make his face shine and bread that sustains his heart. You get it? Food is fun. You know, God is a God of pleasure and and he creates pleasurable things. It's why um, I Heart Curability is exactly the right celebration and contribution for us as Christians to make to this community. God is not a celestial Scrooge who hates to see his children enjoy themselves. We honour God by enjoying his creation, not just using creation. And so let me say, if you don't enjoy a large part of your day off, you are being ungodly. Stop it. Secondly, a day of godly play doesn't just demonstrate God's creation is enjoyable, but you need to delight in the things God delights in. You know, that is, keep your leisure focused on what your life is focused on. Uh, from Philippians 4, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, for many people... Uh, rather than leisure being something that's uh, active, enriching, it, it's poor quality. It's poor quality. Um, 
I attempted to but couldn't find the Australian statistics. Um, I'm guessing we're not that far off America. Uh, the American stats, the average American spends 50% of their leisure time in front of the telly. Now, as an activity, let's be honest, uh, TV breeds passivity. Uh, you know, it bombards us with, with uh, images with no time to reflect. It tells us a story and we don't have to use our imagination. Uh, you, just for a moment, think about the shows you watched this week. Got one in mind? Does this describe it? Whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying you've got to you know, toss the TV out. Uh, not all TV is sin, but we do need to ask the question and be considerate about the, what we're delighting in and the way we delight. You know, what kind of joy is being produced by that? You know, God has given us so much to enjoy. Are we enjoying it? You know, sport, walks, we enjoy. You know, God has made us physically. You know, he has given us great minds in his kindness to be, to be developed and educated. You can actually learn stuff even on a day off. You know, we've been given people to, to, to celebrate with and enjoy and, and have a party and go to a festival. Now, 1 Corinthians 10 uh, verse 31 gives really good advice. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That is, we've got to use our leisure to glorify God still. C.S. Lewis made a great observation. Our leisure, even our play, is a matter of serious concern. There is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. It is a serious matter to choose wholesome recreations. Be godly in your play. And if we're going to be godly in our rest, we need to exclude some things. First, we need to exclude escapism and restlessness. That is, we use um, you know, playtime uh, as a chance to, to get away from the usual grind of work, and, and that's right. But we mustn't use it to try and get away from our lives entirely. There's a song about Australia being the land of the getaway. It's a song about uh, how Australians kind of have this propensity to, to you know, get up, head off, leave their responsibilities and worries behind, just kind of go touring around, um, escape into a new world. And the danger for us is that in our leisure, we think we can escape from who we are and who we are in Christ. Uh, at worst, it can lead us to sanctifying sin. You know, to think that you've got leisure time away from everyone, including God. Uh, there's a saying I know in sport that um, what happens on the field stays on the field. Um, largely, that's been used and said to me uh, to justify illegal and bad behaviour. Um, you know, there's this, this sense almost that you know, when you cross the white line, new ethics apply uh, and you don't have to be the same person. And it's that, that kind of dangerous escapism that we can do in our leisure because you can't cut up your life that way. You can't compartmentalise or isolate. And people try. You know, they're trying to escape to a different world and in their leisure it's different moral categories. Let me give you one example, selfishness. You know, selfishness is the very heart of sin. Uh, and I know when I'm spending time relaxing, you know, it's Friday night, the league's on. The temptation for me there is to ignore everyone else completely. Now, there is a place for time by ourselves but not for selfishness. 
And yet in leisure, it's so easy to be selfish. There's no place for escapism and restlessness. The other warning, we mustn't give in to idolatry in leisure. You know, the greatest danger for us is that leisure becomes a replacement for God, that we become lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You know, that rest, rather than becoming a way of us relating to God and delighting him, actually distracts us from him. Now, the Apostle Paul spoke to Christians about the way they used to live in Titus 3. And he said, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Now, isn't that our culture? Yeah? Slaves to pleasure? Wouldn't it be terrible for that to be us? Now, leisure is a gift of God, just like work, and so everything God has created is good and nothing's to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. But, but it must be used as a, as a responsible steward. God has given us our leisure to enjoy, but do it responsibly under him. Let me say, if your rest consumes you in such a way that you've got no time for God and that you've got no time for his people or their ways, then you need to change the way you rest because you're an idolater. Rest is godly and we are to be godly in our leisure. Uh, Eric Liddell understood that. Uh, That name's vaguely ringing bells. Think chariots of fire, Eric Liddell... Um, Eric Liddell was a son of Scottish missionaries to China, a Scotsman. Uh, his intention was that one day he would return to China and he would preach the gospel there. Uh, he was also a gifted athlete. Uh, he earned seven caps playing rugby for Scotland on the wing. Uh, he was able to represent Britain in the 1924 Paris Olympics. Uh, he'd already set the British record in the 100 metre dash, but if you're familiar with your story, you might know he turned up Uh, in Paris, discovered the race had been set for Sunday, Sabbath day. And Liddell is a man of deep conviction. He refused to run on the Lord's Day. And not surprisingly, you know, huge public outcry. Uh, People love their Olympic medals. Somehow we kind of live vicariously through Olympic athletes as though we won the gold. And, you know, so they're, they're upset. Even the Prince of Wales was pressuring to, you know, kind of run for king and country. But Liddell wouldn't do so if it meant defying God. Now, that stand uh, is remarkable in and of itself. Probably wouldn't have been memorable um, if there hadn't been a kind of nice twist and a good end to the story. Uh, A few days later, Liddell competed in the 400-metre dash. Now, that was a a dash, a race that uh, he hadn't prepared for, he hadn't trained for. It was four times the length of his preferred distance. Uh, And just prior to the race, an American runner handed him a scrap of paper. And on it, it had written this paraphrase uh, of 1 Samuel 2.30. said, The good book says... He who honours me, I will honour. And famously clutching that piece of paper, uh, Eric Liddell went on and he won the 400 metre dash and he set a new world record in the process. That's a cracker of a story uh, about a man who made a choice that he wouldn't run on the day he declared to be his Sabbath. But I tell you that because one day he did run on Sabbath and play on a Sabbath. You know, I tell you it because Liddell was not simplistic. He understood the point. Uh, many years later, he did do Sunday sport. Uh, years later, he went on and he became a missionary in China. And he was there in the 1940s when there was a war between China and Japan. And he found himself um, taking care of uh, uh, children in an internment camp, uh, basically children of uh, those who died and were locked up. And for their sake and for the gospel's sake, 
He played sport with them. He'd kick a soccer ball around with them on the Sabbath. And I go, there is a man who understands rest. You know, he understands rest is a chance for me to glorify and honour my God and my Saviour Christ. But all the while, it's about enjoying it and sharing it with those God's put me in community with. Now, to rest is godly. Let's make sure we are godly in our play. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we are so thankful for the gift of rest. We thank you that you're a God of pleasure and you have made us to enjoy the good things that you give. Uh, Father, we long for that day of heavenly rest when you recreate all things and we enjoy you and your people and your good creation forever. But whilst we're waiting, Father, keep us humble. Uh, Help us in our rest and pleasure to honour and serve you. Help us to delight in the good things that you have given us. Help us to enjoy you as you should be enjoyed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.